Can you see everybody here? I can make it in. It's not out at Moose Camp. Uh, it's uh, still pretty good. A uh, little bit echoey in here, but not, not too bad. Again, uh, it was a beautiful day for me. It's a good time in study. Had a little few things done around the place. Um, you know, still seeing some of my, my wildflowers are still blooming in the backyard, so there's, I'm still hanging on to a little bit of summertime yet, though the birch leaves are flying like crazy in my yard, so I'm kind of in denial because I, <clears throat> I'm sure anybody that knows me, they know I hate winter, and uh, it's a trial, but I'm here, and I'm happy, and I have joy. If you have the Bibles, uh, turn to Ma uh, Micah, chapter 6, we're going to be looking at one verse, verse 8, Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, <clears throat> very little is said about Micah's personal life, but he is known by some as being the prophet of social reform because much of his ministry that's, that's focused into this book was, was, a, was a diatribe, well not a diatribe, but it was, a, it was preaching against the, the political leaders and the religious leaders of that day in both the northern kingdom, uh, uh, Israel and the southern kingdom, Judah, because of the wicked ways that they had gone in leading the people astray. The, the, the northern kingdom from the time of the split never had a righteous or a godly king, though the southern kingdom, Judah, did have some, like Josiah, Hezekiah. <clears throat> but he also preached to them a warning about that national judgment was, was to come. And uh, it did. Uh, first to, to the northern kingdom, they went into captivity, 606, 597, 586 B.C. The, the, the southern kingdom before that, the, the, the Samaritans, the, the, the northern kingdom had gone into, into captivity at the hands of the Assyrians around 700 uh, B.C. And, you know, today in our country, there's uh, much of the same conditions in our country, politically, and religiously, um, much, much is, is, um, could be said against the leaders, our religious leaders, quote unquote religious leaders, and our political leaders. I'm not gonna go into the things that are currently going on, have been going on in our own country. I'm sure you're well enough aware of the direction that our country has been going politically, militarily, and uh, well, those, uh, what Micah tried to do was to get the, the believing remnant to shake them up and that they could be, uh, make a difference for themselves and their neighbors. And some may very, very well have been saved as a result of the call to, uh, the call to repentance. And you know, we're in the same position today. God wants us to be light and salt. Um, to the world around us, even as we see increasing wickedness, as we see the ways of the world going away from the things of God and more to the things of self and Satan, um, it, it should give us pause to be, to be more serious about the work that we've been called to, 
A couple weeks ago, I preached on from from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, uh, where it said, as he, but as he which hath called you is holy, so we be holy in all manner of conversation. And I'm, I bring this up because the lifestyle, the way that we appear to the world and the work that we do in the world needs to be something of an exemplary nature. And if you remember, um, remember the hymn that I used, I used the four phrases of to kind of give an outline of how, what it is to be holy. Remember, take time to be holy, speak off with thy Lord, abide in him always, and trust in his word. You been doing that? Well, I've been trying to. It's a challenge. Uh, as our, as we individuals, when we're trying to go for before, go before the Lord, go forward for the Lord. There's going to be opposition as individuals and as a church. And as you know, our pastors have set up a program into reaching out to the native population, and there is and will be opposition. Well, we need to be prepared for it, and come what may, we need to be even more living the kind of lives that people would want to live themselves to see in us, to see that there's a difference in those people that call themselves Christians. And so in the verse that we just looked at, he said, so be ye holy as I am holy. Um, He's telling us what God was telling us, what he wants us to be, okay? In, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, here God is telling us how that we can do that. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, He hath showed you, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Let's go to the Lord again, and then we'll continue. <clears throat> Lord, I I pray uh, that you give me a calm spirit in this moment in time. Lord, uh, even to be able to look into your face in this this hour, uh, to glory in your presence, I pray that it's something that we all could experience in this moment in time. As we look to this small portion of scripture that was penned so long ago that indeed uh, was meant by you to make a difference in the, in the lives and the nation of that people. Lord, that it might be something that would ring true to us, that we would set goals, holy righteous goals for our life, that we can be found to be faithful servants, that we could be used of you uh, to the nth degree. I humbly pray in Christ's name, amen. So again, <clears throat> In, in 1 Peter, God challenges us to, to, to what we should be. We should be seeking after holiness, using Him as our, as our uh, template or our example. And then from Micah, then He gives us an unction there, showing us some things that He wants us to, to do that we could be found um, valuable and faithful servants. And it talks about that matter of our conversation, our lifestyle. You know, it's, it's often said that our actions speak louder than our words. 
Both are important, certainly, and the, the words that come out of our mouth should always reflect things and matters that are of spiritual nature and of holiness. But people measure who we are a lot by the things that they see us do. They try to, they, they will measure us up by the things as, that are by the things that we do in life. Who we are is oftentimes judged by the, the, the actions that we do. Um, are we honest? Are we faithful? Or, or are we, you know, unfaithful? Or are we just like everybody else in the world? Are we not, not uh, joyous? Are we not, are we proud? Are we boastful? You know, are we hard? Are we implacable? Are we bitter against people? Well, those things shouldn't be named amongst Christians. And again, God through Micah was telling the people then, he's telling us now what he expects of us to do and how to do it. In Isaiah 1-7 it says, learn to do well. So these things that are contained in this book, we can know them, we can learn them so that we can apply them in our daily life and in our service for God. So, in our text, just as God gave us the formula for holiness, he said, be manner, be, be holy as I am holy. So there he set the standard. So we studied a little bit last week and we, we, we uh, looked at God's holiness and what it, what it is, implies and what it is and how that we should seek to inculcate those traits into our own life. But in, in Micah chapter 6 then, he's telling us there of things that he requires of us. Okay, we're going to look at that word and that phrase a little bit closer as we go on. But it's important that we understand that, uh, yeah, there is, some, there is some rules of conduct that God requires for us in this life. So, he starts out, he has showed thee, O man. So it's as Micah is saying here, okay, um, I've showed you what you should be doing. Why aren't you doing it? Uh, I've given you my word. They had the, the Pentateuch, certainly. They probably had the wisdom literature, uh, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Solomon's Song. They had those to be able to look to, to draw spiritual life and strength from. That they could know the things of God, that they, and that what God required of them, what he wanted them to do, and so it's as the Bible says, that mankind is without excuse. Because God has given us a revelation in his word, he's given us a revelation in our conscience of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. <clears throat> and we, we tend, I know myself, you know, I think I, I tend to set the bar of obedience to God too low. You know, holiness, well, I can't get there. Remember we talked about that? Uh, it, the goal that we should have is the, is the perfection in life that, that, that God has. We're never going to get there, but it's a, it's a goal that we should be attaining to. Anything less is not doing service to what God requires us and he wants us to do. Um, you know, and 
God has said, I've given you the example of what I want you to do. Why don't you do it? In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, that's Jehovah God, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So, uh, <clears throat> then and now, it doesn't get much plainer. This is what God desires. The godly fear begins with the moment in time that we enter into a, 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 an intimate personal relationship with him. And that's something that without that, the Bible says without faith and without that, we cannot please God unless we're truly a part of his forever family. And you know, and our walk, again, is the direction that we choose to take in life. We talked about in, in, in the, the message from out of 1 Peter, you know, that we need to be walking in the Lord's footsteps. It's dangerous to get too far ahead, and it's too dangerous to get too far behind. We need to keep our eyes focused on Him and His Word, that we can be about, <clears throat> for every matter of our faith and practice, it needs to be coming from this book. And so, <clears throat> he says, he, he has showed thee. So it's here. We know this is where we need to look for every element of our faith and practice in life. Uh, saved or lost. Lost person needs to look into this book and see that in the perfect law of the Lord, you're condemned and you need to be born into his family because God uh, is going to judge righteous judgment in individuals, even as he does in nations, and even as he is judging our nation now. Realize that. The things that are going on are not, God isn't being mean to us. It isn't that just that our leaders are failing, it's a, and they are, but that God has, we need to step back and look at the whole big picture and how that, that our nation fits into his plan, how we as a church fit into his plan, how we as individuals fit into his plan in these final days. And so, <clears throat> you know, uh, he's given us this book, the B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. You know, uh, when I was a little kid, we used to sing, you know, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the words of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Ever sing that? The kids don't sing that anymore. You don't sing it like that, I'm sure. Well, that's what I get for trying stuff like that. But, you know, it, it was true, you know. Uh, I remember singing, Jesus Loves Me, when I was a little, little boy, long time before I, before I became accountable for my sin, and God was honored in that. Remember that, little ones? You remember, you can talk to Jesus and you can talk to God anytime he wants to hear from you because he loves you who you are, and he wants you one day to come and be a part of his family because he loves you so much that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die to pay for your sin. It's an important thing for everyone to know and understand about that, young or old, what God has done for us. 
And he says there, he has showed thee, O man, what is good. Well, Webster defines good as having moral qualities best adapted to its design and use or the qualities which God's law requires. So, um, are there any of God's laws, rules, statutes, precepts that are optional? Ding, 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 waiting for an answer. Well, no. Um, there are, in application, there's many things that we, can, that we can go to and look to from his word, but God's commandments, he had them written in stone, the Ten Commandments written in stone for a reason that he wanted us to understand about their immutability, their unchangeableness. And if it's written in this book, uh, you, can't go, you can't go like they do in some of the government documents. I've seen how they, they go through and they'll edit out stuff that, you, that you know, the public can't see or you know, it's a classified or something. God doesn't do that. And we can't do that either. We can't edit out something that we choose not to look at because it might be too hard to do or it gets a hold of our heart about something, something, something that we are or something we've done. You can't do that. We don't have the, the, the right to do that. Well, Jesus said of himself, in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said unto him, that was the rich young ruler, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. So when it comes to our holiness, we have God as our best example. When it comes to goodness, that which we should be, then God is also our, our best example. <clears throat> Goodness is love in action. Love with its hand to the plow, love with its burden on its back, love following his, that's God's footsteps, who went about continually doing good. The commentator Hamilton said that. And so our, when we look at Jesus' life, everywhere he went, he did good. Even when he upbraided the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he called them vipers and and uh, snakes in the grass, he was doing it that he was wanting them to get, to get a hold of some of them to understand that the way that they were going was wrong. Some did get the message. Some didn't. But by definition, everything that God does is good because God is good. And we need to remember that. The Bible says in James 1.17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And you see, the thing with us is we can do some good things, but we can't be good like God. God is holy. He is holy. He is holy. We're try, we're, our goal is to try to be holy to be separated from all sin in our, in our life and in our practice. That is our goal. And, and the goodness that, that God would have us to exemplify to the world is the same that, 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 that God had for us when he walked this earth. He made the choice to die for our sins. Nobody dragged him to that cross. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leadeth, goodness and forbearance of God that leadeth us thee to repentance. 
It's because God and God's goodness is an extension of his love and his mercy and his grace. And that he has done everything for us that we could not do for ourselves to attain to the matter of righteousness. And so Micah writes here, he's saying, I've showed you, old man, brothers, people, that which is good. Where did they get that? Well, they got it from, from God's word. He showed them. And he, in the, the quote from, from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 was, was quoted several times. It was a quote from the Old Testament. That was a requirement that, that, that all people all time have known that have known anything of God and his word. And then he comes to that phrase, um, he has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? <clears throat> I, like use, I use my dictionary a lot, because there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things in nuances of words that I don't always know and understand, and I want to get a little bit better handle on. Webster defines the word require as meaning to demand, to ask, as of something that's by right of authority. Uh, it's to render necessary as a duty or anything indispensable. It's as the law of God requires strict obedience. God didn't leave Israel clueless about what he required or expected of them. Neither does, does he us today. They had the word of God as it was given then. They had the complete revelation for them in that day. We have the complete revelation Genesis to Revelation about God's will for us and the, the things that we need to know and to do for our daily life and for our practice. We've already seen that God wants us to leave holy, separated lives. And we know <clears throat> uh, some of the things that God requires of us. The, the royal law, that we shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and all thy strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. And if, if every individual could follow to that, those, he said that's uh, the whole law and the prophets handle, uh, hinges on that. Well, if, any, if we could ever attain to that, any people or any society, we'd have a wonderful society. But the problem is, is that we're sinners. Even we as Christians don't live the lives that we could or should but there's always that the Lord has his word ever before us to give us the knowledge of what he would have us to be and what he requires. Um, <clears throat> it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, you know, Solomon wrote a lot, and you know this verse very, very um, uh, well, I'm sure. It's, it's nothing new. But some of these things, they, they need to get printed in here. They really need to get printed in. Something that we're carrying with us, you know, all the time. Because we need to be reminded of who we are, who God is, and um, that we can be ever more about his work. That shield of our faith is something we need to carry with us all the time. Well, in Ecclesiastes, it says, let us hear the conclusion of this whole matter. It's like he wrote that whole book, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, where he said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity, man's efforts in their own strength, 
is nothing but emptiness, as a, as a warm vapor on a cold day. Man, and that's what Solomon learned when he stepped outside the will of God. He was a man that followed after God's own heart in his youth, <clears throat> but he let the, uh, he married multiple wives, he, he, he multiplied horses and armies and so on, and wealth to the point where it, it got a hold of him. He didn't have his wealth, but his wealth had him. And he turned away from God and he was not found obedient. And so he came to the end of his life, um, uh, I'm sure realizing what he had done and repenting of it, and that's why he could say, what's the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Pretty simple. When you boil it all down, that's what God requires of us. To respect him, to obey him, to hear his word, and to live for him. That's the whole duty. He doesn't say part of it. He says that's your whole duty. So if that's what, that's what our life essence, that's what our, life in, uh, our direction in life should be about, our service to God. You know, it says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whatsoever thou doest, do all to the glory of God. That's a good verse to remember, and that's one I forget too much. I think there's too much time when there's, when there's selfishness and lack of motivation for anything that, that involves God in the things that I that I do and say and think. It shouldn't be. And this one I need to get back to that matter of holiness again. Man, this is hard. This is hard. Jim says that this is hard. Well, um, what am I left with? Just walking in the strength of the flesh and I know where that, where that can lead and you do too. So why go there? So we need to know the things that he requires. He wants us to have single-minded obedience to him. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's our duty, our whole duty of man. Why? For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. If you're sitting in this auditorium now and you haven't believed on Christ as your Savior, God still knows every little thing that you did to, to break his law, to violate his law. From the time that you came to the age of accountability, he's kept track of every, every lie, every thought that was impure, every action <clears throat> that you did, and he's keeping track of it. And the moment in time that you came to that age of accountability, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. A death sentence came upon you. You need to know and understand if you walk out of this world tonight without Christ, you're going to hell. It's a serious thing. God calls every individual everywhere to repent. The Bible says that God, at times of this ignorance God winked at, but he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And that's every boy, girl, man, woman, and child in this existence, in the, not just North Pole, Alaska, not just the United States of America, this whole world. 24 7, 365, the Holy Spirit is drawing men to him. He said, If I lift, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. God is willing that none should perish, but that all would come to him in repentance. But they must come. It's his will 
that we would come and know him and believe on his son as our savior. He doesn't make us do that. But what he does do is he works on his conscience. I was just talking to a fellow the other day and he was talking about feeling the conviction of his sin. And he's asking me about that. Well, it's a good thing. If you're lost, you should feel the conviction from your sin. You should feel the burden and responsibility for it because God will hold you accountable. And then he says, to do justly. Well, so what's that about? Perhaps the thought behind this is summed up in the verse from Luke chapter 6, 31, where it says, As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Well, you know that. That's a, the golden rule paraphrases it when they say, Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Um, and it's a good rule. It's something that we should all be trying to do and, and make a part of, our, a part of our life. If we're seeking to be holy, this is what we're going to be trying to do. We love our neighbor as ourself. We should be doing to others what the same things that, that we would ask or hope that they would do to us. But you know, present day moral philosophy gives little or no thought to the golden rule despite the rule's prominence in common sense, ethics, or logic. Um, I was just talking to my brother uh, the other day on Skype, and uh, we were talking about some of the current affairs matters. He said, it just doesn't make sense, the way people, the things that people do. Why do they do this? Don't they have any common sense at all? Well, the the truth is, uh, most of them have very little. Um, They don't have any basis that they really build their life upon. The wisdom that they have, if it's it's anything at all, is about some some false truths that they're building their life on. And they're as easily led, more easily led than, uh, I don't know, than a sheep or dumb. Christians are called, believers are called sheep. Sheep need a shepherd, but... Those people out in the world are like the sheep that strays away from the flock. You know what happens to them? Become lunch for the bears and the wolves. And you know, that's truly um, where most of the world's people are in jeopardy of, of hell's fire because they followed a false philosophy that it makes no sense. That they believe that from evolution that life came from dead things. It's scientifically impossible for anything to, be, to come from something that's inert and dead. Yet, nevertheless, there are billions of people that are putting their faith in that fact that matter has an innate desire to organize itself into something more complex. It can't happen scientifically. But nevertheless, there are some scientists who will say that it can happen, so it must be so. Well, they're, they're, they're very, very wrong. And again... If we're going to have, um, you know, you just wonder sometimes why a person uh, would not use the basic commandments of God as a basis for their decisions and actions. That's what we kind of got we're talking about. And as I just said, it's because many people today, they're selfish and they're hateful and self-serving. They don't have any thought about their cares about anybody much for themselves or they're very, very close family circle. 
They have no love to shed abroad in their hearts. Christians should have, the world should be able to see the love of God shed abroad in our hearts through the things that we say and the things that we do. <clears throat> the verses following the golden rule give explanation as to how this rule is to be observed. In Luke chapter 6, verse 32, it begins, For if you love them which love you, what thanks have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thanks have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thanks have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive much again. We're going to get some more back. But Jesus said, But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the unthankful. He says, be therefore merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. And so if we would to step outside of ourselves and we begin to show ourselves carrying these traits of caring for other people as much as we care for ourselves, to, to seek out, to try to help people in their physical needs, in their spiritual needs, out of the love of God in our heart, Many moral, self-righteous people would claim to follow this axiom, and truthfully, there are some that earnestly, honestly do. But you've got to understand, works don't get you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ does. Uh, you can't work your way to heaven, but God wants us. Our works, he says, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Our work should exemplify and picture the God of our faith. Uh, again, uh, many seek approbation of men rather than approval of God. I remember years ago working in the, in the old food bank. <clears throat> it used to be on Gaffney. Uh, and we, were, we were working there. We took a team in there every week for a day or two, I think it was. And, uh, and then we were in the transition time when they went to the new place. The new place was really nice. But I'll never forget those one time, there's lots of people in there working, you know, and we had a group of young people in there. Uh, there's none of them here around anymore. I think Becca was the last one, maybe. But anyway, uh, I remember one lady, she, you know, she was bustling around, she was saying, she said, no, she said, I just love doing this because it makes me feel so good. Well, she was doing some good stuff, but she wasn't doing it to, to benefit the community. She was just, just to, to feed her flesh and make herself feel, I, I'm something. I saw a video on, uh, on YouTube the other day. This guy was putting some of this stuff up there about how the hypocrisy of some of these, you know, I don't know, they're not yuppies anymore. I don't know what they call them, the Gen Xers or whatever. And this lady had a friend taking a video of her, there was a guy who was working on a sign or something with a, with a drill, and she asked the guy if she could go, and, and so she gets the guy to stand aside, she stands there with the drill, while the guy's, her friend is taking a video of her doing this public work, you know, doing some nice act for the, you know, the charity or whatever it was, and then they go away. What's that about? Well, look what I did. Look at her on the phone, look what I did. 
sad but true. Don't ever let that be said of, uh, of you or me or any Christian. And finally he says, well he says next to love mercy, God's mercy is his, gonna, is his goodness manifested towards those who are in misery or distress. God's mercy is, is him not giving us the punishment that we deserve for the sins we've committed. We all deserve death. The wages of sin is death and hell. But God in his mercy, <clears throat> again, the length of life that, he, that, we, that we get is of the mercy of God. You think about it, all the lost people in the world, God is showing mercy to them and not calling them home today. You know when they had that uh, when they had that blast there in Afghanistan, they had 13 service people killed, and there were hundreds of Afghanis killed. Did you ever think about that? You know they talked about the soldiers a lot, but there was a couple hundred, at least several hundred Afghanis that died in that horrible blast. Every one of those souls in that moment in time was offered up to God for judgment. And it's quite likely every one of them was lost, Afghani or American. It's a sobering thought. But God extends his mercy to every individual that seeks his mercy. God's mercy is as his forgiveness. His, he offers his, his hand of forgiveness to the lost sinner, but to be, to, for that forgiveness to be, uh, become a personal thing, it must be received. It must be sought and received. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. And this is what for. Here's what I'm talking about. Forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Okay. That's an extension of God's mercy. But he also says, that he will by no means clear the guilty. And so <clears throat> God's mercy ends for the individual when they leave this world. The offer of mercy, the offer of forgiveness is over. And they're going to be offered up for their, to pay their sin debt. Albert Barnes in his New Testament commentary says, Nowhere do we imitate God more than in showing mercy. In nothing does God more delight than in the exercise of mercy to us as guilty sinners, to us as wretched dying and exposed to eternal woe. He has shown mercy by giving his son to die for us, by expressing his willingness to pardon and to save us, and by sending his spirit to renew and to sanctify the heart through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Each day of life, each hour, and each moment, we partake of his undeserved mercy. All the blessings we enjoy are proofs of his mercy. If we also show mercy to the poor, the wretched, the guilty, it shows that we are like God. Now, we aren't God, but we are showing of his, uh, his holiness, of his traits, his attributes. We have his spirit, and we shall not lose our reward. And we have abundant opportunity to do it. Our world is full of guilt and woe. 
which we may help to relieve and every day of our lives we have opportunity by helping the poor and the wretched and by forgiving those who injure us to show that we are like God. Well, <clears throat> that's what it is again. Be holy as I am holy. Show mercy to those that are around us as we're able. And to have, you know, it's like it, that matter of our pity and our compassion. You know, the, the, we read the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The priest and the Levi saw the guy beat up in the ditch, and they just walked by, they went on the other side of the road, they didn't want to deal with it. No mercy, no compassion, until finally the Samaritan comes along and he went out of his way to help that individual. That's, what, that's the kind of thing that, that we should look for and be trying to do, to help those that have need as best we can, that we can show them something of the God who we believe in. Again, Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Um, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, Being all fashioned of the selfsame dust, let us be merciful as well as just. God would have us show mercy and pity and compassion to every person as we have opportunity. That's the golden rule in action and application. And so last of all, he says, He has showed us what has he showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. In theology, humility consists in lowliness of mind, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God. He talks about self-abasement penitence up for sin and submission to the divine will. Um, I think of the, the fruits of the spirit, faith, meekness, and temperance. Meekness is, is akin to this matter of humility. Meekness is not weakness, but it is strength under control. Moses was a very meek man, yet he was the leader of a nation. The Lord Jesus Christ exemplified meekness in his life in, in, he never put, forced his will upon any individual in his life and in his ministry. Uh, the commentator Sockman said, true humility is intelligent self-respect that keeps us from thinking too highly or too meanly of ourselves. It makes us mindful of the nobility meant us, th that God meant us to have. What's that? That God created us in his image. You ever think of how awesome that is? God is perfect. God is holy. He created us to be like Him. What is it when, when, when God says that we're to be conformed to the image of His Son? Something down here? Somebody? No. You or me? The President of the United States or some world leader? That's not much of an example to follow. Heaven forbid. But that we would exemplify the attributes of God so that others might know Him and, uh, and worship Him. Again, this matter of humility, Sockman says, yet it makes us modest by reminding us how far we have become short of what we can be. And so, you know, remember we can, we can some learn from things? 
from God, we can, we can grow in our faith and the application of the things that we know to do. Abraham Lincoln said this. I really believe Abraham Lincoln was a saved man. Might, be, might have been the greatest president we've ever had. That's arguable, but certainly a, a wonderful man. He said, being a humble instrument in the hands of our Heavenly Father, I desire that all my words and acts may be according to his will, and, it may be, and that it may be so, I give thanks to the Almighty and seek his aid. A humble man. I believe he's a humble man that knew God as his Savior, something that we need to work for and exemplify. Humility is extolled in the Bible, in Proverbs 15, verse 33. The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Okay, this, remember what Pastor uh, Demlo was preaching on uh, last Sunday? Remember he was talking about the, the, the people that came to the feast, you know, <clears throat> and some, some came up and there were, there were positions of honor and, and some not so. You could picture like the, the room was just like this. It was a common area and then, you know, then they had the area where the, where the master of the feast or the owner of the place, that's where he and his close entourage sat. And you remember that it, they said it was better to sit out there, okay, say like uh, here Isaac comes and he goes up and he sits down there, he wants to be close to the ruler of the feast. And then the ruler of the feast, the owner of the, of the building, the man giving the feast, he comes up there and he says, no, you got to go sit down over there. I want, uh, I want uh, Je uh, Joshua to come up and sit here. You get the idea about, he was talking about humility. The person that was, he, he wasn't the person out there, he didn't think, well, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go up there unless I'm called up there. There was no pride in him. It was pride for the other fellow to try to take a position that wasn't, he wasn't worthy of. We should not ever be guilty of that. The Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We should always seek uh, the approval of God to live a humble, meek life in submission to him and his word. And then he follows up that uh, in verse 19 uh, from that, uh, from Proverbs after it says pride goeth before destruction. He says, better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. The, the Bible has absolutely nothing ever good to say about pride. It's uh, pride keeps more people, sends more people to hell. The stiff, it's what puts the ramrod in the neck, it puts what the stiffness in the knee that will refuse to bow and confess our sin before God. And Jesus, of course, he especially exalted it. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That, that to me is one of the most beautiful. Um, I love kids so much. I envy all you parents so much. I just love kids so much. 
I can just see Jesus, all the kids come running up to him because they loved him so much they wanted to be close to Jesus. And Jesus loved them so much. He took everyone up. When the apostles told him to get them kids out of here, he said, suffer those little children to come unto me. Because, that's, because this is the way, this is the way you need, I need everybody to come to me. I want them to come to me willingly, lovingly, trustingly. That's what God have, would have from us in our, in our, to develop that kind of a spirit. And God gave us the great example of his humility when he washed the feet of his disciples in, uh, in John chapter 13. He washed their feet, you know, I mean, it's, you know, today it might not be such a big deal. I mean, I've never washed anybody's feet. I don't know that I would want to, but, you know, people's feet don't get so bad. But you're talking about people that were walking barefoot and in sandals down dirty, dusty roads where the animals walk down those roads too, and you know what happens with animals. Well, you're talking about dirty feet. Uh, it used to be the, the master of a household, it would be the most lowliest of the lowly of the servants would wash the master's feet, the lowliest of the lowly of the servants. And that's the position that Jesus took for every one of them because he wanted to give them an example of humility uh, before the world. He gave them that great example. He gives us the great example that, to have us to follow for our faith and our practice. He has showed us what he wants us to do, what we re required of us. Remember, requirements aren't, okay, requirements aren't optional. That's maybe the easiest way to say it. They're not optional. They're commandments. It's something that God expects for us, and he has the right to make, <coughs> to make the, the requirements for our life because he is our sovereign God. So God has called us to holiness, using himself as an example and giving us the means by which this can be accomplished through just living, through being merciful and humble lives. Uh, that's what he would have us to do. It's not an impossible task but one that we must be earnestly, honestly take on if we're going to be an obedient, effective, effective servant of Christ. And so <clears throat> this has been a big challenge to me. It's been kind of a one-two punch. You know, I mean, I, was, uh, I, I worked on that first message for several weeks, off and on, two, three weeks. And... Uh, and uh, I was really, the Lord is really blessing me from it. I was able to really maintain some uh, matters of the flesh and so on. But you know, I let up for one day and some of the things started coming right back on me. And that's when, Pat, and that's when I started working. <clears throat> this, this verse that was actually something that Pastor Demlo, I think, brought up in one of his messages. And I stuck on that and said, that's something that I need to be doing. And it's something that I need to be sharing. Because uh, we can't ever get too close to God, but we can know the things of God, the things that we know of God we need to apply in our life. What does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him? And if we do that, we'll be fulfilling the laws of God and be a, a, being a more effective servant for him. Okay. I guess I'll turn it over to Brother Chris. Come on up, uh, 
I imagine we're going to have uh, some prayer time and prayer requests and so on. I just would 